morning. If you got Bibles, will you open up with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 this morning. It's good to be with you as you're flipping there. I'm going to read the passage, then we're going to extend it. Spend an extended time praying for Ukraine. I'm echoing for some reason here. Um, there we go. All better. So we're gonna, I'm going to read the passage for us. Then I'm going to ask you, there's some prayer kind of guides above us. Hopefully you're able to get that in our email. But we're going to send some time. You can pray individually, pray with families. I'm going to close it to the end. I'll probably give you about five minutes to be able to pray specifically for Ukraine and what's going on there. So I'm going to read the passage, give you some time to pray, and then I'll close it at the end. We'll lead right into our sermon this morning. Our passage this morning, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Hear God's words starting in verse 1. This is what Paul writes to us. For we know that if a tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting on it we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who is prepared for us, uh, prepared for us for this, is this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the world. From the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in body, whether good or evil. I ask you guys just to spend some time. It's a kind of a good text for this morning, specifically for what's going on in Ukraine, the hope that we have in Jesus. So spend about five minutes, and then I'll close it at the end, uh, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, we are thankful. Thankful that we serve a big God. Yet our hearts are broken for what we view and what we see. Yet we pray. That you would be with the Ukrainian people. You call yourself the God of all comfort. God, I pray that your comfort would surround them in this time. God, sometimes we're confused on why things need to happen. But, but God, we know that you are an all-powerful God. So we pray that your power would be felt. God, your shalom, your peace. So we pray with talks that are, that are happening or going to be happening, Lord, that you would be able to give great wisdom to those who are in the midst of these talks. God, I pray for a softness of heart, a change of heart, Lord, that, that Russia would be able to leave and not continue on in their destruction. God, we pray for many of the soldiers, for their safety. Many young men don't even know what they're getting into, God, that you would be able to, to speak to them in this time. Protect them. Protect the, the 1.5 million people who no longer have a home. Get our hearts hurt. 
We pray for your missionaries. That you would continually give them a boldness for the name of Jesus. God, allow them to have a forgiving heart for what's taking place. Allow them to have courage to be able to proclaim the good news and the hope we have in Jesus. And our hearts are broken. And many of us are confused why this has to happen, but we know that you are the great history writer. God, you use all things to get all things for your purposes and your end and your glory. And sometimes we don't know why it has to happen, but we trust in you in this time. Oh God, we pray that your hand of peace would be felt and what war would cease. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, as we turn on to the news, we see how, how broken this world truly is. Again, our hearts break for what we witness with what's going on with Ukraine, but yet the craziest part is that this this dark shadow kind of overshadows the land of Ukraine. What we see is people of courage. We see people of faith. Specifically these, these missionaries who are present when given the chance or when, when given the option, do you leave or you stay? We see so many willing to stay. Willing to stay amongst the chaos. For one more opportunity to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus. To stand within the trial just so they can be able to preach the gospel to more people coming in. Again, we see this courage. We see their hope. We see this faith within them. We see a heart for the gospel. In fact, just this week, I was able to, to read a text exchange with one of our missionaries we support. Their missionary organization texting one of the missionaries that are present in Ukraine. I want to read it to you because it's powerful. The missionary organization texted the missionary named Rose. He said, hi, Rose, I believe it may be time for you to take the kids to Poland or Germany. Do you have a plan in mind? This is her reply. She says, Tom, all the kids are gone from the home except for one family. We're working on them to head to Poland. I am great, though. I found a group of us who are here and we're going to be helping moms and kids whose husbands left the fight. Families from our Bible club, and, and now that our homes are empty, we're going to get more people from other cities, and we are going to host them. If I can get the family that lives with me out, there's a group of moms and their children I'll take in from the other city, and my work continues here. God has granted me complete peace about it. I am at peace about the decision to stay no matter what, of course. If actual bombs are raining down on my village, I'll have to get out and go to friends in the West. But there are so many of us who have stayed and are serving the broken and lost people by beaming the hope of salvation and eternity with Christ. I'm ready. I'm ready to die to serve Jesus until my final breath. I've set my will. I've set my will to my home church. I've spoken to family and pastors. I spoke yesterday to Steve and Susan to explain as well. My, my right-hand man and partner in this ministry is staying with his wife and two kids. They know my wishes. If anything should happen to me, and, 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 uh, and we will be in contact with them... 
I don't want to be rescued or saved or taken to America if I'm gravely injured. My friend is a doctor and they will help me here. Again, I am at total peace from God about all of this. And I pray that he allows me to see the day that when Ukraine is free and at peace once again. So we can continue to heal this broken land. You read those words and they're powerful. You read her faith amidst the chaos of it all and you wonder, how is she able to stay so strong amidst the war that is taking place? How can she have so much boldness and courage amidst the the, the reality that her life can be taken from her? I believe Rose would answer that question with one answer. It's her faith. Faith in heaven. Faith that yes, they can destroy her earthly body, but yet there's a heavenly body waiting for her. Friends, it's this faith that allows her to continue on amidst the chaos of it all. Friends, this morning, Pope wants, uh, Paul wants us to have that hope as well. Because what's so interesting about the book of 2 Corinthians as we're reading it is is on one side of the book we see suffering and pain. And Paul has told us about the harshness of his life. And he's told us about the reality that he's been afflicted in every way, utterly burdened, to the point on which he despises life itself. So on one side of this page we, we, we see the suffering, but yet on the next we see Paul say that he's, he's of good courage. Man, we see this cheerfulness within Paul. We, we see that, yes, he says that he's of good courage, that he's not lost heart, that he's been crushed, but not driven to, to despair. And we ask the question, how can this be? How can Paul, in one sense, look at the harshness of life, but yet continue on with great courage? Again, I believe Paul answers that question just like Rose does. It's his faith. Faith again in the reality of heaven. Again, that yes, the worst thinking can be taken from it, but it's very life. But again, there's a waiting, a resurrected body. And again, this morning, Paul wants you and I to be able to have this hope. Amidst the chaos of this world, that we would have courage. Amidst the, the hardships that we see, that we would be able to stand strong in our faith. That we would not lose hearts. Because yes, they can take our earthly body. But we have the guarantee of a resurrected body waiting for us. In fact, what's so interesting about our passage is yes, as Paul's beginning to write, he he begins to show the harshness of life and he doesn't hide it from us. In fact, I, I find that incredibly helpful. Because there's in one sense that we we tend to view hardship and trials as an obscurity of life rather than the norm for us as Christ followers. And there's a problem with that thought, right? As you think that if trials and hardships are going to be an obscurity that, that should happen over there and not to us, what happens when they show up at our door? And the trial shows up in our door and we're thrown for a loop. And our, our, our faith is rattled and shaken. And we begin to ask the question, God, why would you ever allow that to happen? So, so I find it incredibly helpful that Paul says, no, the norm is suffering and pain, specifically for us as Christ's followers. Paul doesn't hide that reality. 
Because he doesn't want our, us to be disillusioned when hardship shows up at our door. But yet what's so interesting is Paul is beginning to disclose this hardship. At the same time, he begins to disclose the hope that's found with it as well. In one sense, he shows the hardship. But in the other sense, he says we can have great courage and faith. We, we don't have to lose hope. So in the midst of the pain, and, 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 and he's giving us this great hope, and he tells us, hey, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? Again, the world can take our earthly tent, but yet the great news of the gospel is we have a resurrected building waiting for us. And just look at the, the hope that's found in verse 1. Paul says, for we know, for we know if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan. And he calls our earthly body a tent. Many of us would probably not choose to use that word to describe our earthly body. Maybe we would choose a fortress. Maybe we'd choose a, a, a strong bunker or a castle. But Paul uses a tent. A symbol of weakness. But, but this is exactly Paul's point. You see, the, the tent used to describe our earthly body describes this, the temporary nature, the, the, the fact that our bodies are vulnerable to, to outside pain and hurt and suffering. Hey, I don't have to describe to many of you the, the, the harsh reality that tents aren't good at keeping the elements away because many of you spent a long time in tents. But go with me for a second. Imagine first century tents. And they didn't have any zippers to keep the weather out. They didn't, they didn't have any kind of weatherproof material on the outside. No, they were simply just leather and leather on top of sticks. So therefore, again, they're vulnerable to the elements. And again, in many ways, it's probably not the best time as we're talking about camping. But I'll tell you about my first camping experience with my oldest son. We didn't have a good time. You know, here we are in this tent. We made the mistake to camp in August where it was extremely hot and humid out. And the tent, the tent that we were in did nothing to keep the heat out. In fact, it made it extremely worse because it stopped the airflow. So in the middle of the night, we're like both taking turns trying to, to, to get our heads to, to out the, the little zipper that was there so just so we could breathe fresh air. And on top of that, there's this weather storm that comes through, this, this thunderstorm, which... Again, our tent did nothing to keep out the water. We woke up with soaked sleeping bags. So here's this tent, this vulnerable tent we're sleeping. We, we get, we're, we're, we're extremely hot. And then on top of that, our, our sleeping bags are, are drenched. And we're like, why didn't we just sleep outside? We don't even need a tent. And yet this, this is Paul's point. And he, he describes our body as a, as a tent. He just got done in chapter 4 describing it as jars of clay. And now he describes it as a tent. And you think, and the reality of verse 1 is he says that our earthly bodies can be destroyed. You would think the reaction would be that we would shrink back in fear. The vulnerable nature of our bodies, you would think that we would kind of not really be bold or courageous at all. But we would try to protect ourselves. But what's so interesting about this passage is Paul tells us the exact opposite is true. That we shouldn't shrink back, but rather we be, should be more courageous. 
That yes, our bodies, these earthly bodies are so vulnerable to suffering and pain and what's going on in the world. But yet, we can still be of great courage and great boldness walking through this life. Why? The answer is found again in verse 1. Because we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Friends, that is our hope. That they can destroy this body, but the great news is I have an eternal body waiting for me. I don't have to be scared in this life. I have a promise that there's a resurrected body that is coming. That's far better than this body I have now. So Paul, that's his hope. Amidst the chaos and the suffering of his life, he says, I don't don't have to be afraid. That, that, That is Rose's hope. In the midst of war and pain and all that's going on, I can still proclaim the gospel without fear. Because yes, they can take this body, but I have the promise a greater body is coming. Friends, do you see the hope that Paul is wanting to share with us this morning? And don't miss the comparison between these two bodies as, as Paul begins to describe them. One sense of tent, one who is vulnerable, one is a symbol of weakness and, and the temporary nature of one, but yet then he describes the other in verse 1 as a building, a symbol of strength. He said it's, it's not made with human man's meaning that it's, that it's been created by God Almighty and it's going to be eternal. Look at the great news that he shares with us. Why do we not, well, why do we as believers not have to be afraid of death? Because death for us simply means an upgrade. The death for us simply means we get something better. So do you see the reason why he says we as believers do not need to fear in this life because the worst thing that can happen to us is death, but that just leads to an upgrade. In fact, I'm reminded of the story of John Patton when he was going to be a missionary on the the islands off of Australia. An older man came up to John Patton and he said, hey, I don't think you should go there. The reason why is there's going to be cannibals there. You're going to die. So Pat, Mr. Patton, don't leave. And listen to what John Patton wrote in reply. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. Your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, that if I can but live and die serving and honoring Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or worms. And in that great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. You see what John Patton is saying? It doesn't matter if cannibals eat me. It doesn't matter if worms eat me. The great news is, I'm going to serve my Lord, and when God says it's my time to go, I get a resurrected body. You see his courage. It doesn't get him off track of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. No, it just strengthens his reserve because of the good news. As a resurrected body is coming. Paul says this is the hope that you and I have. And is that not the hope that we're all longing for? 
He says, we, we, we groan with this, this earthly tent. Well, what are we groaning for in the sense it gives us, it tells us longing. We, we groan as we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. And in this life, don't you feel this groan as well? In fact, I am convinced the more we live, this groan intensifies as the suffering comes our way. And yet I'm also kind of comforted in the fact that yes, we groan, longing for this earthly tent, but we're not alone in this groan. We're told in Romans that all of creation is groaning. The whole of creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Romans 8, and, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you hear Paul's, Paul's longing to be with his God? Do you feel his, his earthly discontentment with what is going on? Then he has this holy discontentment saying, I just want to be in heaven. Man, this, this earthly body, he feels the weakness of it all. He, he struggles with the sin of it all. He just longs to put on that, that earthly body. Some ways I think we can relate. Specifically as we turn on the news, there's this sense, man, we just groan and we long for this thing to be over. We long to be rid of the sin. We, we long to be rid of the chaos of this world. We long to be rid of the fight against evil. We long to just to be with our Heavenly Father in perfect shalom and peace. You feel that longing within your own soul. This groaning of just longing to, to be with our God. But here's the thing. We, we need to be careful with this groan because sometimes we can get confused. This is not a groan of complaint. In fact, this is the exact opposite of what Paul is trying to say. He's saying we could be of good courage. So this groaning, yes, we groan as we long for something better. But this groaning reminds us that yes, something is better is coming. And therefore, if death comes our way, we can still be of good courage because we hunger for what is more. That's what this groaning is about. It's hungry for what is more, so we can be content in this life, not worried about anything, because we know what's about to come our way. In fact, look at what he says in verses 4 for 5. For while we are still in this tent, we, we groan, being burdened. Now, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what, uh, but what is life. And you just catch those words like it's almost like you would expect the opposite. You would expect Paul to write so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by death. But he says, no, it's swallowed up by, by life. And then catch this next part. He has, who has prepared for us this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So why do we not have to fear death? Because of the reality of what is to come, something greater is coming. But now he's saying we don't have to fear death because this something that is greater is coming now is guaranteed to us. Well, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to question it all. I was just reading Philip Yancey's memoir recently and he talks about all the times he had to, to say the sinner's prayer and how many times he felt like he just had to be baptized, just the assurance. He was, he was longing for the assurance and yet he... This passage is right here. It's guaranteed. How is it guaranteed to us? 
the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're told that the Holy Spirit is this disposit three different times within the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and here in chapter 5. This idea that this Holy Spirit should be a disposit shouldn't confuse us or shock us. After all, Romans would say the Holy Spirit is the, the very thing that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And if the Holy Spirit rose Jesus Christ from the dead, and that is living inside of us, does that not guarantee our resurrection as well? Does that not guarantee the assurance that yes, something better is coming, so whether death comes our way, we do not need to be afraid because we are guaranteed a greater God. You see Paul's point in this argument is he's trying to, to talk to his people. We are guaranteed resurrected heavenly bodies and the promise of eternal life. So Paul says he is not afraid of the hardships of life. He doesn't lose hearts when he gets hard. Because if his earthly body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Catch verses 6 through 8. So we are always of good courage. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Notice the language that's found in verse 6. He is of good courage. Again, this is not what we would expect with all the sufferings that Paul has described. Despising life itself, being crushed. And yet he says he's of good courage. It's shocking again, but again we see these remarkable words that point to the fact that we don't have to be afraid of anything in life because of the guarantee of what is to come. But he begins to clarify for us, which is important because as you're reading this, you're thinking, hey, the great news of what is coming, the, uh, an upgrade in our bodies, this resurrected fact that it's eternal and it's guaranteed, you would think that then we would just kind of give up on this life. That we kind of just throw in the white towel and say, hey, I just want to be in the next. But Paul says that is not the case at all. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. In fact, heaven and impact are present. Look at what it says in verses 9 through 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what is, He has done in body, whether good or evil. Again, Paul doesn't want us to miss the point. Again, there's a tendency to think that, yes, because of the great news of heaven, that we just give up in this life and call it quits. But he says it's the exact opposite. Because heaven is coming, it impacts our present even more. Because of the great news of heaven, it makes this life all that more important. In fact, just what he's going to go on in next week is going to tell us is, hey, because of heaven, I am propelled to even go out even stronger to proclaim the good news of Jesus. To win other people for, for Christ. So notice how his view of the future is impacting his present behavior and actions. Saying it impacts it even more. He goes on to say it is our aim, it is our goal, it is our mission to please God. That that's what, we, that that's what we're here to do. So whether we're here or there, our same goal is the same. We aim to please God. 
Why do we aim to please God? Verse 10 tells us because the judgment seat is coming our way. What is this judgment seat that Paul mentions in this passage? I think 1 Corinthians chapter 3 kind of does the best explanation of what this judgment seat means. Listen to what it says. And Paul writes this. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become a manifest. For the day it will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And that fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that, that, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So, so notice what he's saying in this idea of future rewards. He's saying because there are future rewards, I make it my aim to please God in the present. It's important to read it in this positive sense. That, 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 that the reality of rewards allows him to strive even stronger in this life. Because he knows the rewards are coming his way. It's important to read it in the positive sense because this is going to be his argument as he kind of walks through the, the, the end of chapter 5. Paul is saying, hey, I'm not afraid of this judgment. In fact, in many ways, these people who are coming against him, he's saying, I don't need to please you. Man, I'm not afraid of you. Why? Because I know there's a judgment coming in which I will be rewarded for my efforts. That's going to be his argument walking through. So in many ways he's saying, hey, why do we endure? Because the reward is coming. Why do we strive and aim to please Jesus in this life? Because a reward is coming. Why and how can we endure in the midst of chaos and war? Because I, we know our reward is coming. So he's saying, in the midst of this, I don't need to be worried or afraid of you guys who are coming at me in Corinth. But I can be strong and courageous because I know my reward is coming. I don't need my reward in this life. But when I get home, it's going to be there. In fact, I'm reminded the story of this, this missionary who was on the same boat of, of, of the President of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt was on, the, uh, on this boat with him. So when the president gets off, when they hit dock, man, the crowd is going wild. Man, everybody is so excited for him to get off the boat. And yet this missionary is kind of struck with the idea, where's my people? He gets off the boat, there's not one person praising him, not one person clapping on all the work he did. And he began to be, kind of be irritated about that. God, where is my applause? And he heard God speak to him and he says, you're not home yet. Your reward is coming. You're not home yet. Your reward is coming. Maybe you feel tired of it all. Maybe you feel this groan within your own soul. You just want to be done with this life. Just hear the assurance. Your reward is coming. Keep at it. You're not home yet. But when you get there, you'll see your Heavenly Father embrace you with open arms. Be courageous. We, we don't need to fear this life. Because even if they take this earthly body, our resurrected body is coming out. As we move into communion, I'm reminded of the aspect of communion that, that it's an aspect of groaning for the future. 
I'm reminded as Jesus, he gathered his disciples together on the night he was betrayed and he broke the bread. He said, this bread is broken to you, broken for you. This is my body broken for you. He took the cup, the sign of the new covenant. He said, this is a symbol of my blood poured out for you. So when you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. But yet, let's not forget what he said at the end. Jesus told his disciples these words, I tell you the truth. I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. There's an aspect, and when we take the cup and we take the bread, there's this aspect of we feel this longing. How many more communions do we have to take until we get to take it with our Heavenly Father? There's this groan within us that says, man, we just long to be in the presence of our God. See, communion, it, it points us forward. There's this longing within us. There's this, this hunger within us that it doesn't satisfy. Yeah, we take the bread, but yet we get hungry again. And we can't wait to the day in which the true bread of life satisfies our soul and we will find ourselves no longer hungry anymore. So this morning... As we begin to partake together, there's this hunger and this longing and this groan that we can't wait. Until one day, which we are there at the table with all of God's people, with us, the church, Ukrainians, Russians, side by side, Americans, and Chinese, North Koreans, and South Koreans sitting side by side because they're looking to their one who died in their place. That's what we're longing for, friends. So this morning as we partake, we're going to play three and a half more songs here. You have the time to, to be able to go with your family and partake in communion. This is our family. As we partake together, feel that hunger and that longing. And the great news is that we're guaranteed the great news that a better day is coming. We're guaranteed that when we leave this life, we get an upgrade in our bodies. Bodies will no longer feel pain or suffering, anxiety, depression. We'll be free from that. God, I'm thankful for your word. Again, I'm thankful for your church. God, I pray that we would be able to live these truths out. That you would stir within our hearts a sense of longing for you. Even. God, I'm reminded of the words that we're, we're, we're so prone to, to wander away from you. But yet the great news is that you seal us with your spirit and you draw us back. So God, I pray this morning, would you draw your people to yourself? God, we're thankful that you did take the bread and you broke your body on our behalf. God, we're thankful for the cup, the sweetness of the new covenant. That it's by faith, not by works, that we're saved. God, build your church on the great news of your will. For your end and your purposes and your glory. 